ahead and take a seat, and why don't you grab your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 2. While you're doing that, would you just, um, let's just quote together this ancient, very familiar verse together, okay? Let's say it together. "'Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the house... You just ruined everything, Phil. You just ruined my whole entire morning. Hey, it's Christmas Eve. Tonight is the night before Christmas. How's it going? You ready? Is it going to be calm, all is calm and quiet at your house tonight on the night before Christmas? (laughs) Not even a mouse? Um... Probably not, right? I mean, probably a little bit crazy if you're like us in our home. Might be a little crazy tonight um, as we get ready for the big day tomorrow. But today is Christmas Eve. Today is, tonight is the night before Christmas. And so I want to take you to the night before Christmas in the Bible, okay? And we're in Luke chapter 2. And I want to read for you what it was like that night. And we want to muse on that just a little bit today. Um, before we go into our time of communion with the Lord. Luke chapter 2, verse 1 says this. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus, and let me just tell you what that time is, okay? We're talking about the time of the birth of Jesus. That's what this is. At that time, at this time when the, when the birth is taking place of the Lord Jesus Christ, There was an emperor in Rome named Augustus, and he decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman world, the Roman Empire. Now, those of you who don't know, um, kids might be in here, don't know what a census is. They're just counting the people. Rome wanted to know how many people that they had. And so everybody returned to their own ancestral towns to register for that census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee, and he took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. Now, just just lock into that verse a little bit, because there is a lot in that verse. Joseph had to go to be counted in the census, had to go from Nazareth in Galilee all the way down to Bethlehem with Mary, his fiance who was pregnant got that now it's about 95 miles you guys if you if you track it from nazareth down to um beth to um, bethlehem and they didn't have cars back then and so they were walking or in mary's case she was riding a donkey but she was great with child and so here they are going down. They, they expect or they suspect it took them five to seven days to get from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. So the night before Christmas... Here's Mary, great with child, coming off of a 95-mile, five- to seven-day trip on a donkey 
down to Bethlehem where there is no room in the inn. They couldn't find a room anywhere in Bethlehem because everybody was coming to get counted. And she ends up in a stable having a baby. Um, This is the night before Christmas. Now, my friends, what we just read describes the single moment in time that changed everything for mankind. This is actually the turning point for the salvation of men right here in this story that we're reading. Let me just remind you of something. We call it the story of the birth of Jesus. We call it the Christmas story out of Luke chapter two. It's not a story, it's a historical fact. We're not reading some story in some nursery book um, that's just simple nice thing about Christmas. We're reading a historical fact of what actually happened the night before Christmas there in a little town called Bethlehem out in a stable somewhere. It's the moment when something very bright and very beautiful and glorious entered into the struggling journey of men and brought into our darkness light, the scripture says. It brought hope. This moment in time that we just read about brought hope into our hopeless landscape of our experience and became the cure for the diseased, cursed world we live in and the diseased, cursed lives that we are living in. Paul describes this moment in the New Testament in Philippians chapter two. Look at verse seven and eight. Here's how he describes the night before Christmas. Jesus gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he took on human flesh, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. One of the professors at Denver Seminary wrote this, Christianity is the only major religion which has as its central event, this thing that we're celebrating right now, the humiliation of its God. This birth in the stable here in Bethlehem is an illustration of that humiliation of our God. So I was doing our, my Christmas puzzle. I like to do a puzzle at Christmas time and love to have like the kids come over and stuff and they all pick away at it and then I have to fix it after they all leave. But um, so I was doing the Christmas puzzle um, and I was listening to, I just put on some Christmas music, was listening to that. Robin wasn't home and I was just having a great time with my puzzle listening to Christmas. And I think I, it, it, it dawned on me, I think I have heard every possible version of Silent Night by any possible person who ever wanted to do a version of Silent Night. I was able to hear that. And here are the words. You know the words to Silent Night, right? Silent Night. Holy night, all is, all is, what do you think? Um, Not so sure about that. Before I go any further, we neglected to do something on Celebration Sunday last week. Emerson and Kara, are you here? Back in the back, just just wave a couple of times. Everybody look, that's Emerson and Kara. Emerson's our youth pastor and Kara. And we neglected to celebrate the birth of your brand new baby just a week and a half ago that came to you guys. Congratulations. We're so excited for you. Lainey 
Lainey Sage Bandemer came into this world and um, born last, a week and a half ago at 4.40 in the morning, okay? There's a night for you. Um, and I would just wonder, what do you think? Silent night? Well, wait till I tell you the story. Now, I got permission um, to tell you the story about that, but it was anything but calm and bright. Um, how about a little crazy and scary in the Bandemer home at 4.40 in the morning because these guys decided to have their children at home with a midwife. That freaks me out. I'm like, okay, all right, but well, at least I'm gonna have a midwife there. Well, we get a text, from, we were all praying, you know, because we knew she was coming soon, you know, it was gonna come and everything. And I'm anxious for him, you guys. I'm telling you, I'm just freaking out a little bit that you don't have a hospital right there and if something goes wrong, I'm at least going to birthing room at your home. I mean, come on. Anyway, this new young people these days, I'm telling you, I don't know, I don't know about them. But... Um, so we get this text from Emerson. Here it is on the screen. Kara woke me up at 3.50. Baby was born at 4.40. Midwife just got here 10 minutes ago. <laughs> and that was at 5.15 a.m. Ah! I mean, can't imagine, you know, I'm sleeping away, and all of a sudden, Kara, you know, like is waking Emerson up and saying, Emerson, wake up. I can't imagine being Emerson and my wife going, it's time. Okay, what does that mean? I mean? It's time. We should probably call the midwife. What I've heard from Emerson was, he said, well, then let's call the midwife. She goes, no, it's not, it's not time yet to call the midwife. <laughs> and then according to Emerson, and then here comes the baby. He goes, I don't even know if I caught the baby. All of a sudden, the baby is on, on Kara, and the baby is here, and then the midwife shows up. Dude, you are crazy good. That's why you're you're like my hero. And Kara, may all women of the earth rise and call you blessed. Oh my lord! Um, you want to see a picture of the baby? Here she is, right here, Lainey Page, right there. Here she is, and there's an, another picture coming after that. But anyway. What a wonderful thing that is, but um, what do you think? All this calm, all this bright, that night before this little baby's birth, um, not so sure. It would have been crazy in my home. Scripture suggests that this night, okay, this is um, the night that this baby was being born Jesus into this world in a stable to a young couple who's never had a baby. They've been through it at least a couple of times, okay, to kind of know what to expect, but these two didn't. I imagine it was anything but a silent, calm, bright night full of sweet, heavenly sleep. Look at verse, at, at chapter one, if you're still at Luke. Look at chapter one, verse 26. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. This is the lead up to. This is the night before Christmas. A village in Galilee, this angel came to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a, de a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, 
Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Now you have to realize that the Lord had not spoken to anyone for 400 years. And all of a sudden this angel appears to Mary and and breaks the silence and says, greeting favored woman, the Lord is with you. And what is her response? The next two words are interesting. They are confused and disturbed. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Well, fear was involved in there too because the angel said, don't be afraid. For you have found favor with God. And then here's the message. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. We sang about that this morning. But look at what Mary asked the angel. It kind of gives you an idea of what's in her heart. How can this happen? She said. I'm a virgin. It's evident by that statement right there that she realized what the angel was saying. The angel was saying, you are going to conceive of the Holy Spirit. You're going to conceive and you're going to give birth to the Son of God as a virgin. Now, do you think that that calmed her spirit to hear that news? Or do you think it amped up the confusion a little bit? and amped up the fear and anxiety. I can guarantee you what she was thinking, that it amped up the fear and anxiety because in those days under Jewish law, and Jewish law reigned over all of their lives in the Jewish community, a girl who was engaged to be married and gets pregnant before her wedding would fall under the category of adulteress and was to be stoned to death. And Mary knew this. And so why would an angel of God come to me and tell me that I, a virgin, am going to have a son? What is, what is this? What is going to happen here? In fact, Joseph, once he heard about it, was freaking out. Scripture tells us in Matthew that he was going to try to figure out a way because he loved Mary, but he couldn't go through with this whole thing. And he was so confused and freaking out about it, he was trying to figure out a way, quietly put her away and be done with it and kind of fix this thing and make it all go away until an angel appeared to him and tells him that it's not going to end the way he thinks it's going to end because he's thinking this thing's gonna end really, really bad. Just put yourself in their shoes. Nine months of pregnancy, nine months of anxiety, nine months of awkward conversations, nine months of anticipation, Nine months of explanations that won't make sense to anybody else that think I'm crazy if I tell him that this angel appeared to me and told me I'm gonna miraculously have a baby. Nine months of putting up with sneers and stares and glares and criticism and humiliation within their culture. In fact, if this happened today with Planned Parenthood clinics offering like convenient ways to handle unfortunate mistakes, quote unquote. Um, It's extremely improbable that under these existing conditions, Jesus would have been permitted to be born at all. In fact, um, one journalist wrote this about it. Mary's pregnancy in poor circumstances and with the father unknown would have been an obvious case for an abortion. 
And her talk of having conceived as a result of a so-called Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost would have pointed to the need of psychiatric treatment and made the case for terminating her pregnancy even stronger. Thus, our generation, needing a Savior more perhaps than any other than has ever existed, would be too humane and or inconvenient to allow a Savior like this to be born. So let me ask you, all is calm? All is bright going into the night before Christmas? I don't think so. In fact, um, think about the chaos. Emerson and Karen know exactly what that is all about. Think about the chaos that, that night in the stable. But I want to draw your attention to the chaos that was happening outside that stable out in the land. Because there was just crazy stuff going on in the world around them during this time, especially specifically related to the prophecy around the birth of Jesus. So at the time that Jesus' birth um, came about was a very dark time. It was actually the time of King Herod. You've heard him. He's a famous player in the story of Christmas. But he was a Roman-made, quote-unquote, king of the Jews who is now faced with a problem because he's heard about the prophesied birth of the true king of the Jews and that it was supposed to be happening right there in his time. Now, he was a really wicked man, and he ruled his kingdom in his wickedness. History tells us that he was a murderer. He, he killed his two brother-in-laws. He then killed Miriam, his wife. He killed his two sons. This guy was so evil, get this now, that five days before he died, he ordered um, that on the, death of, on the day of his death, they would kill a bunch of innocent civilians in order for there to be an atmosphere of mourning throughout the kingdom on the day of his death. This is how wicked this guy was. This is the guy who, after hearing of the birth of Jesus, ordered the slaughter of all the baby boys two years and under in and around the area of Bethlehem. In our history books, it is known as the massacre of the innocent. So let me ask you, in the world, outside of the stable, is everything calm and everything bright and everything serene and everything silent? Now, it's in massive turmoil Jesus Christ entered a world of chaos and entered into a world of wickedness and terror and had to spend the first few years of his life in hiding in a faraway land in Egypt until Herod died for fear that they would take his life. Now, while Herod is like running around here on earth trying to kill the coming king, before he could establish his kingdom, something very different was happening in heaven. John gives us a glimpse of what was happening. So there was this earthly thing going on in the birth of Jesus and Herod trying to find the baby and kill him to stop this kingdom from happening. But there's something else going on in the heavenly, in the spiritual realm. We do live in two different realms. We live in the physical realm, but there is a spiritual realm that's going on. And at the same time, at the birth of the, of, of the Savior, Revelation 12 describes it like this. I witnessed 
witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and ten hordes with seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept away one-third of the stars in the sky, and he threw them to the earth. He stood in front of the woman. Now get this picture. He stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. This is a picture of the satanic element involved in trying to stop what was coming to the earth. The savior of the world, the light of the world, the hope of the world coming into the earth was getting ready to be devoured by this dragon in the heavenlies. She gave birth, verse five, to a son who was to rule all nations with an iron rod and her child was snatched away from the dragon and was caught up to God and to his throne because you can't stop God. You can't stop God's power. You can't stop God's plan no matter how hard you try. And yet it was trying, on earth it was happening and in the heavenlies it was happening. Philip Yancey wrote about it like this. He said, on earth a baby was born. A king, Herod, got wind of it and, was, and a chase ensued, but in heaven... The great invasion had begun. What was that invasion? The ruler of the forces of good, Jesus Christ himself, as a baby, entered into the universe's seat of evil. And there's only one reason why he came. He came, he came to save the lost. The scripture teaches us that Jesus is in very nature God, which means he's eternal. John tells us in John chapter one that he, is, he was there in the beginning of all things with God because he is God. So Jesus is God, eternal God, not knowing anything that enters time, but he in his eternality set that aside and entered time and space when he was born on this night before Christmas the God who knows no boundaries took upon himself the restraints of mortality. Can you think about that? Can you even, we can't even imagine that. I can't even imagine that. I get claustrophobic just trying to sleep in a, two, in a sleeping bag that's too tight. I can't get out. I can't get out. I gotta get out. I gotta unzip it and like give me some, okay, give me some room. Maybe if I lost some weight, it wouldn't feel so much like that. But just think about God wrapping himself in the confines of humanity who has never known the constraints of any kind taking on human flesh. We know from Colossians chapter one that he, God, Jesus, is the the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. But this night before Christmas, he was a human child in his mother's womb, being born into the darkness. The light of the world, the scripture calls him. The hope and salvation of all mankind. I came across this in a devotional called Moments with the Savior, where Ken Geyer writes this. Just think about this. Deity, God, is nursing from a young maiden's breast. Could anything be more puzzling or more profound? Joseph sits exhausted, silent, full of wonder. Tears pool in Mary's eyes as she touches his tiny hand, hands that once sculpted mountain ranges cling to her finger. Together, Mary and Joseph stare in awe at the baby Jesus whose Heavy eyelids begin to close. It's been a long journey. The king is tired.
Twas the night before Christmas, and Jesus gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he took on human flesh, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Peter tells us that after he grew to be a man, that he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd. You have turned to your savior, the guardian of your souls. This is what was going on. This is what happened the night before Christmas. Into the chaos of the moment, into the chaos of the world, a savior was born for you. I asked myself the question, why did he do it? Why did he come? Couldn't he have ruled over all of this chaos from his throne in heaven and conducted all the world's affairs in the perfection of his glory? Couldn't he have done that? Not really. Did you just say God can't do something? The reason that he couldn't do it that way is because God had a plan to bring salvation and the plan required the death of a perfect, spotless lamb of God. The son of God to come and sacrifice his life because without the shedding of the blood of the innocent, there could be no forgiveness of sins. And so God, who so loved us, demonstrated his love in that while we were still sinners, he sent his son Jesus to die for us, the Jesus that came that night before Christmas into the world, into the darkness, to shine his light and to give his life. He came that night so long ago because we would be doomed without him. He came to shine his light into our chaotic lives. He came to bring us hope. He came to make a way to eternal life. He came to die for our sins so that we don't have to. Because the Bible says that we're all sinners and that the wages of that sin is death. But, aren't you glad for big buts in the Bible? But there is eternal life in Jesus Christ. So when you sit with your family tomorrow and you think, or maybe tonight even, maybe take some time tonight in the midst of all the chaos and still the final wrappings and everything that has to go on, whatever it is you do on the night before Christmas, take some time like we're gonna take right now and thank the Lord that he came. Thank the Lord that he didn't say, nope, too chaotic, it's too much of a mess down there. Not going. He came and he lived a life of perfection and then he died to save us. This is what we remember when we participate in communion together. 
The Lord Jesus Christ wants us until he returns. He wants us to, on a regular basis, remember what he has done for us. And I think no better time. The two best times to take communion for me is Christmas and Easter. Because it is Christmas that we celebrate and we thank him for coming and for giving his life. And then at Easter, we celebrate the victory over death, the victory over sin in his resurrection. He gives us new birth to be born again unto salvation. As we participate together in this, we, we take his body symbolized by this little piece of bread and we take his blood symbolized by the juice, the fruit of the vine to remember that without his body being broken for us and being beaten and whipped and crucified on a cross, we could not have salvation. And without the shedding of his blood, we could not have forgiveness of sins, that all of that had to happen for us. And it started that night before Christmas so long ago when he entered into this thing for us. And so the Bible says it's good for us to examine our hearts before we participate in this. And what does that mean? For those of us who know the Lord, it means, Lord, am I, is there any way in me? It's like, it's like praying the prayer of David that said, search me, O God, and know my heart, and see if there is some wicked way in me so that I can confess that afresh and anew because I don't want to live my life unworthy of your sacrifice. And so it's a time for us to examine our hearts and make sure we're right before the Lord. You might be here, though, and you don't know the Lord, and you know you don't know the Lord, and that's okay. To be here and to hear this word for you, I'd like to encourage you and to challenge you to examine your heart right now and ask the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. Right now, today, on this night before Christmas or this day before Christmas, you can actually find salvation in Jesus Christ. You can actually receive the gift for yourself and unwrap the gift of salvation today, right before you today, on this Christmas. All you have to do is confess your sin before the Lord. Confess him as Lord of your life. Accept his gift of salvation for you and you can be saved. Today is the day of salvation. Whether you're here in the building or you're visiting with us wherever you are online, you can be saved today. You can give your heart to Jesus. And if you don't even know how to do that, we would love to help you. At the end of the service, we can help you with that. But let's go before the Lord right now as this music is playing softly underneath us. And let's just examine our hearts before the Lord. And I'll come back in just a little bit and we'll participate in our time of communion together.
on the last night he met with his disciples, he took some bread and he broke it and he held it up and he said, when you eat this, remember me, let's remember the Lord. And then he took the cup and he said, this is a new covenant in my blood. When you drink it, remember me, let's remember the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for coming. Thank you for humbling yourself and taking on flesh. Thank you for giving your life for us, being obedient to your Father. Thank you for leaving yourself in the background and sacrificing yourself and giving it all for us and paying it all. Drinking all of the cup of the wrath of our Father on our behalf. We're eternally grateful. We just want you to know that at this time when we remember your birth. Thank you for coming. Guide us into the night. Guide us into the darkness. Guide us out into our world to make an impact for you, for your glory. Amen. We have a tradition here that we are going to continue. And it's a tradition that's been going on for literally centuries of a candle lighting. So if you go ahead and get your candles out and stand with me. When I was a kid, I used to think this is just a really cool thing that we do at Christmas time. I can't wait to do it again. And I would play in the wax and all kinds of stuff like that. Hopefully that won't happen because you're more mature than I was when I was a kid. There's a significance to this. As children of God, there's a significance to this as God's people because Jesus came and the scripture says that when he came, he brought light into the darkness. He is called the light of the world. And he said, I am the light of the world and those who follow me are lights in the world. And so he tells us the command is, so go shine your light. And the way you do that is you live the life of righteousness before the whole world so that they can see your light and be drawn to it. We're supposed to set our lights up on a hill. We're supposed to shine them for Jesus. We're supposed to, like a city on a hill, we're supposed to be shining so that all can see. And so Jesus comes, and this can represent his candle, where he comes at that time, you can go ahead and shut the lights off at this point. He comes to bring the light into the darkness. There, before Jesus came, there was no light in the world. It was full of darkness until Jesus came and began to spread the news to a few individuals and said, now go take your light and spread that light to other people. Tell them of the good news that there is a Savior. Tell them of the good news that they can be reborn. Tell them of the good news that they can be saved from their sins. 
they can change the world. And one by one, the light spread into the darkness of the world. And it started to make a difference. different this room looks now compared to what it did just a few moments ago when all there was was the one light how dark would this world still be if the people of God who receive the light don't share the light what's interesting is that Jesus plan I mean Jesus is all powerful because he is God he could have done anything he wanted but he had it in his plan that he was going to bring his light and then give it to somebody else and then say to that person, now I want you to take the light to somebody else. The Bible says that the message of reconciliation came to us and we have been reconciled with God. That means we have been made right with God and we have the righteousness of Christ in our lives when we become Christians, when we receive the, the light, when we receive the gospel. And we have been not just reconciled by God, but we have been, listen to this, given the ministry of reconciliation so that by us, the whole world can be saved if we would just simply take the light and share the light out into our world. This is what this means. This is what this is. It's not just we're playing with candles in church. This is very, a very significant thing. I want you to very carefully just take your light. Look, what, look at the room right now and then watch what happens when we just take the light and go up and just take our light up into there. Do you see how it illuminates the room? We don't, we don't take our lights and we don't hide them under bushels, right? Okay, come on. We don't hide our lights under bushels, right? No, we lift them high for the whole world to see and when we do, the glory of the Lord will be revealed to the whole world. 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for giving us this light. Thank you for giving us the responsibility. I pray right now that you will strengthen us to do everything you've called us to do. Let's sing one more time together. Oh, come, let us Okay, we're gonna try to blow these out without blowing wax all over the person in front of you. So one, two, three. There we go. There we go. All right, do me a favor, will you, as we go? Reach out your arms like this. Give yourself a really big hug. (laughs) This is for me and Robin and my family, a big, warm Christmas hug. To all of you, we love you. We hope you have an awesome night tonight. Have an awesome day tomorrow. Celebrating the Lord, celebrating his birth, and celebrating your family. Um, Take your arms now like this. Turn to the person on your right or your left and wrap them up and give them a big bear hug. God bless you. We love you. Merry Christmas, everybody.